Steve Donahue, welcome to another episode of the Legacy Podcast, helping you build your legacy. This episode is number 251, and this is going to be a message of uh, exposition from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 21, which I delivered recently to the church in which I pastor. And uh, stay tuned for that. I appreciate you all listening. If you want to get uh, additional information, including... Um, some resources as well as an outline of the message. You'll want to go to the web page and look at 251. Thanks for listening. Here you go. I don't know how many of you have ever encountered a situation before where you're talking to somebody and maybe they have been even church members and they have uh, talked to you about an issue that they're dealing with or something and you. I explain to them maybe from a portion of scripture and they say, well, do you really believe the Bible like that? I mean, don't you realize it's written by men? How are we to respond to something like that? Or, or maybe you have encountered a situation where uh, someone has said something like this. I can't believe the Bible because my experience tells me that this and this happened. And that's not in the Bible. Or, or maybe you've encountered a situation like this where someone says, uh, well, I, I don't go to church much because, you know, I've already read the Bible through. And uh, so I, I don't really need to know any more about what the Bible says. So how, how do we handle situations like that? How, how do we address questions like that? Someone who, who says that their experience overrides the scriptures. Or somebody who says that the scriptures are not really written by God. Or somebody who, who may look at it and say, well, you know, I, I know the Bible already. I don't need to continue to learn more about it. What do we do with situations like that? Well, I think it's interesting to note that in this portion of Scripture in Second uh, Peter, that we are told exactly how we are to handle that, what we are to believe, what we are to know, what we are to hold fast to regarding the Scriptures. Now, last week, if you recall, 
uh, in Second Peter, we address the issue that Paul is dealing with in Second Peter. In First Peter, he deals with the false teachers from outside the church. In Second Peter, for the most part, he is dealing with those who rise up within the church that speak false doctrine. And so he tells us there are certain things that we must know, certain things that we must hold fast to if we are going to guard ourselves against those false teachers. And last week we looked at knowing our salvation. We looked at what it is to be saved and how important it is to know intimately what it is to be saved, how to be saved, what all the implications are regarding that. This week we're looking at the scriptures because in this portion of scripture, uh, Peter addresses what it is to believe in the scriptures, how we got the scriptures, why it is that we hold fast to the scriptures and all of these questions that are dealt with. And, and fundamentally, what we have here are we have three truths about scripture that we must know. And the first one is this. Scripture needs repeating. Scripture needs repeating. In other words, this tells us the importance of. Of scripture. More specifically, it tells us that we need to be reminded regularly of what the scriptures teach. I want you to notice, first of all, the universal need of this reminder. In verse 12, it says, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know them and are established in the present truth. In other words, he's writing to believers who have heard the word, they have believed the word, they have been established in the word. These are people who are mature believers, and yet he's writing to them, and he's saying, I am reminding of you, reminding you of these things, because you need the reminder, even though you've been established in the truth. Now, very often what happens is that as we mature in the faith, we come across a passage I mean, I've been guilty of this, and I'm sure you have as well. You come across a passage, you say, oh, yeah, I've read this. And so we just kind of gloss over it. Or you come to church, and the pastor preaches on a passage that you've heard since six years old in Sunday school class. And you say, oh, well, here we go again, this passage. Not much to learn here. I've already learned all this. Well, the reason why we need to hear it again is because we constantly need to be reminded of the truth. We are forgetful people. And Peter understands that. And so he is reminding them of this. He's saying, look, we need to repeat the scriptures over and over again. And it's interesting that the scripture repeats itself over and over again. Why? Because we need to be reminded. Repetition is the best means of retaining information. Even when we memorize scripture, it's important that we refresh our minds with that scripture that we have remembered or that we have memorized so that we might be reminded of it. I I used to have the entire book of Romans memorized. took me a long time to memorize. I think it three years took me to memorize the whole thing. Had the whole thing memorized. You know what? I can't remember it all now. You know why? Because I haven't reminded myself of it. I, I should have regularly, continually reminded myself of it and maybe once a week taken a portion of it and gone through it again now there are portions there are places i remember specifically because i've reminded myself of them but the places i haven't done that i've forgotten why because that's where we are we are forgetful people it just uh, is normal for us to forget things i was told once that the best way to remember something and this is a, this is a good practice if we could do this we wouldn't forget things That if you repeat something every day for seven days, and then you repeat it every week for seven weeks, 
And then you repeat it every month for seven months. And then once a year for seven years. You'll have it down. You won't forget it. But how many of us really do that? Right? And, and so it's important that we are reminded of these things. You know, there, uh, in, in school, one of the most important things that you can do is to um, recall information, to remind yourself of certain things. Um, I, you know, we're trying to work with our kids right now, and we've, we did a few things differently with our curriculum this year. And we've, um, you know, Samuel's in high school now, so we're trying to really uh, push on some heavy, heavy-duty academic stuff. Well, at least he thinks it's heavy-duty academic stuff. But um, w- one of the things that we're trying to work with them on is how to recall information for the tests. And, you know, you think you can just read something one time and then pass a test on it. It doesn't work that way. Why? Because we forget most of the stuff we read. I mean, that you know, most of us don't have a photographic memory. There are, there are some people I know who they can read something one time and remember it for 20 years. How many people like that? <laughs> yeah, me either. But we need to continually be reminded of things. You know, I, I have read the Bible through probably five or six times. And every time I read it through, I'm like, huh, I didn't know that was in there. There's something else I remember, right? Or something I'm reminded of something I've forgotten. And that's the way it is. So uh, how, how do we remind ourselves or repeat the scriptures to us regularly? Well, we, first of all, don't need to close our mind when we come across a passage that we've heard before. We need to continue to open our mind and say there might be something new here. There might be something that I've forgotten. There might be something that is a good reminder for us. And then intentionally and regularly review those things that you want to remember, particularly from God's word. And then I also want you to notice the urgency to this reminder. We see this in verses 13 and 14. He says, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. Now, the tent he's talking about here is in this physical body. He's basically saying, I'm about ready to die. And he was aware of his upcoming death, not only because, as it mentioned here, uh, Jesus had forecasted, prophesied that he was going to die. And that he was not going to live as long as John. And I'll go back where it talks about that. But he specifically said that John is basically going to live longer than you, Peter. You're going to go led, be led somewhere where you don't want to go. And you're going to have to die. And uh, he was aware of that. And he's sitting in jail at this time, probably, when he's writing this. And uh, so he is, he is aware of his upcoming death. And very aware of it. And so he says, look, I'm about ready to put off this tent. And it's urgent that I remind you of these things. Because they need to be reminded. So verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus showed me. And so many of us fail to really take into account how short life is. How often do we procrastinate and say, well, I'll just do that tomorrow. Yeah, well, I know I need to review those scriptures that I'm supposed to memorize, but I'll start tomorrow. And tomorrow comes. And then we say, well, I'll just do it the next day. And the next day comes and, yeah, well, this week's busy. Maybe I'll just start next week. We've got those Bible reading plans. Well, I'm going to read through the Bible. Starting in January. January comes and you've got New Year's and you've got all this kind of stuff coming on. Well, maybe I'll start in February. And then February starts and February goes and I'll start in March. March comes and it goes. Well, I'm six months into the year. Now, I'll just start next January. 
Is that the way it goes? And yet our life is like a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. Peter was aware of that. And so he understood the important, the urgency of reminding ourselves of these things and, and repeating them over and over again so that we might be reminded of them. So often we live as though we have as many tomorrows as we think we might have when we really do not. Listen to what it says in James chapter 4. He says, Come now you who say to today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is life? For you are mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And it emphasizes how, how short our time really is. This reminds us to do it today. Don't put off what we need to do. And then notice the permanence of this reminder in verse 15. He says, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder. Now, I want to point out, first of all, one thing here. And that is, if you'll notice in verse 12, he talks about a reminder. If you notice in verse 13, he talks about a reminder. And in verse 15, he talks about a reminder. Here's, a, here's an important principle when you're studying the Bible. If there's a word that's repeated, you pretty much know that's a theme. So what do I have? Here's my first point. We need to be reminded of the scriptures. You know, it's important when we're studying the Bible that we use just basic understanding of how things work. And so if something is repeated over and over again, it means it's probably an important point that we need to remember. And so here we have uh, an expression of Peter saying that it is important for us to be reminded of these things. In verse 15, he says, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Now, he did not really comprehend to the extent to which he was true in writing this because he was writing a letter. He did not know that he was writing scripture <laughs> and that it would be preserved over 2,000 years, and that we would be here in Arvonia, Virginia, reading this letter and meditating upon it, even as we are today. He did not quite comprehend the permanency of this reminder, and yet, indeed, it is for us. You know, we never outgrow the need for a reminder of the truth. It is important to note that the same things of which the first century need to be reminded of the same things that we need to be reminded of today. That's why the scripture continues to uh, be applicable for us 2,000 years after it was written. Written in a different context, a different time period, different peoples. And yet, it is so applicable for us as well. So what are you doing to repeatedly be reminded of the truth? I know that most of you here come every week to hear the word preached from this pulpit. That's one way in which you can be reminded of the truth. What about daily reading it for yourself? Being reminded of it. You, you often pick up things when you hear them over and over again as you read them. Memorizing the scripture and then reviewing them day in and day out. You know, one of the things that we have tried to do in our home is we've tried to catechize our kids. Taking a catechism and um, if you're not familiar with what those are, it's been a traditional way of teaching children. You ask a question, they answer it based upon uh, what the appropriate response is. And we've tried to do that. And one of the things about that, even with our members memorization of scripture is that um, the older boys or the older children go through it first and the younger ones go through it and as the younger ones are going through it the older ones are remembering going through it and so it's kind of a reminder for them as well now it hasn't worked out perfectly as much as i would like it to um, but that's the that's the idea behind it it's something that needs to be reminded on a regular uh regular action don't grow tired of hearing the truth over and over again 
So the first thing is that we are to be uh, reminded of the scriptures. That it is to be something that is to be repeated to us over and over again. Verses 16 through 19 tells us that scripture trumps experience. Scripture trumps experience. And really this deals with the authority of scripture as it relates to experience. And we're told here, or Peter gives us uh, three reasons why it trumps experience. And the first one is this. It is a record of eyewitness testimony. It is a record of eyewitness testimony. Look with me in verse 16 and 17 and verse 18. It says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then he goes on, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came from heaven in his excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so Peter here is recalling the event of the transfiguration when he was on the holy mountain and and Jesus was transfigured before him. We recently talked about this in our Sunday school time. And Peter was an eyewitness to these events. And he is saying, we actually saw these things. We heard the voice come down out of heaven. And so he records these things. It's not as though they are cunningly devised fables. And, you know, the Greek and the Roman culture, they had all kinds of myths. In fact, you could go down to the bookstore today and you could buy a, a, a book of mythology. And it would cover the, the Greek and the Roman period. And many of the, the movies that we see today are based upon some of those concepts of the, the, the Greek and Roman Mythology. In fact, uh, Hercules and and um, some of those guys are uh, are Greek and and Roman myths. We we talk about uh, Troy and the legends of Troy, and uh, and then of course uh, even symbols and things like that. Mary this recently was coloring from a horse book. I think she got from the library or something like that, and she was tracing some pictures. and And one of them was of a Pegasus horse. You know, the horse that's white with the the wings and flies, you know, lots of that's from that's from Greek and Roman mythology. And he's saying we're not talking about mythology. We're not talking about something that was made up by man. We're talking about something that is historical, something that is eyewitness testimony. We were actually there. We saw Jesus transfigured. We saw his miraculous glory. We heard the voice out of heaven come down and say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's not talking about fables and mythology. He's talking about something that is real. Eyewitness testimony. You know, it's interesting to note, and we talked about this a little bit when, uh, when Chet was here for revival, but archaeology continues to show validity to the scriptures. Every time there is an archaeological dig and there is a find that has something to do with the Bible, it just verifies the truth. That what we have here in this book is a historically accurate document. It's something that is based upon reality. Something that is based upon objective truth. It's not just some kind of experience. This makes it better than experience because it is objective truth, not subjective. Subjective experience can be false or true. The Bible, on the other hand, is eyewitness testimony revealed to us in objective history. It's also a record of prophetic prophecy. Or prophetic testimony is a record of prophetic testimony. We see this in verse 19. It says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. 
Now, the Old Testament was written by the prophets of one kind or another. Prophets, in this sense, were those who proclaimed the word of God. And so all of those who were the Old Testament writers, they were those who proclaimed the word of God, whether it be through pen or whether it be through vocally and then recorded in the pen. Greek word order here, though, is crucial when it comes to verse 19. And some of you in your Bibles probably have a footnote that says something uh, maybe a little bit differently than what is written there. And uh, mine... um, says, and it was the prophetic word confirmed. And in our footnote, uh, it says something about uh, we have this sure and more prophetic word. The idea is, is that experience is not the final word. The idea is the prophetic word revealed is the final word. It is what is confirmed. And the, the experiences that we have, they need to be confirmed by the scriptures because that's the ultimate authority. That is Uh, The thing that we need to base our life upon. Now, there are Christian denominations that teach that experience is one form of authority that is equal to the scriptures. But as um, as Baptists, we don't believe that. And the abstract of principles, which, of course, is one of the founding documents of the Southern Baptist Convention, says this regarding the scriptures. It says the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments were given by inspiration of God and are the only Sufficient, certain, and authoritative rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. I also like the way the Westminster Confession of Faith says it this way. It says, The supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined, and all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined, and in whose sentence we are to rest can be no other but the Holy Spirit speaking through Scriptures. And so scriptures is the ultimate authority. It is that to which we are supposed to base all other ideas, all other experiences. John MacArthur summarizes this way. He says, scripture trumps experience with these words. It is more complete, more permanent, and more authoritative than experience. And then also we notice that it is a a record of applicable testimony. It is a record of applicable testimony. We see this also in verse 19. Not only is it a a prophetic word that is confirmed or is confirmed by the prophetic word. It says, which you do well to heed as light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. It's like a lamp to our feet, the scriptures say. It is sufficient until the return of Christ when we return are able to see his glory and all of its glory in the final judgment. The scripture is not just good history and truthful prophecy. It is to be applied and followed. What good is it to know the truth and to be firmly established in the truth, to be reminded of the truth and to hold fast to it as authoritative, but do nothing about it. And so we are to apply it. James says it this way. James chapter one says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forget what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one is blessed in what he does. And so the the word of God should change our life. It's not just something that we are to learn, not something that we are to just... Uh, hold fast to, but we are to actually apply to our lives so that it changes 
our life. Psalm 1 says it this way. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the godly, nor stand in the path of the sinner, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law he meditates day and night. And then what does it say? It says he shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in its season. What is the idea behind that? The word changes you. The word brings forth fruit. The word enables us to be able to have a changed life. You know, some books are written to bring enjoyment. We can read a novel and we can say, oh, that was, that was a very entertaining, interesting or entertaining uh, book. Some books are designed to provide some information, how-to books, something like that. The Bible was written to change our life. It's far more than those books. In the Bible, we have a revelation of what God is to believe or what man is to believe concerning God and what rule God has given to man to live. We should not read the Bible or hear the message and say, well, that's nice. It should change our life. Reminds me of the story of the preacher one time. Some of you probably have heard this before, but the preacher gets called to a little country church. He goes out to that country church and he preaches a very dynamic, powerful message the first Sunday. Everybody comes up afterwards. Oh, that was a great message, preacher. Good job. Next Sunday he comes and he preaches the exact same message. This time, some of the people come up and say, oh, that was a great message, preacher. Some of the people come up afterwards and say, you know, that sounds pretty familiar. Third Sunday, the preacher comes and he preaches the exact same message again. This time, a couple of the deacons come up. The deacons come up and say, uh, you know, preacher, I think you preached that sermon before the last couple of times. Are you preaching the same sermon? Why don't you preach something else? And the preacher says to the deacons, he says, well, as soon as everybody starts doing the first one, <laughs> I'll preach something else. Now, now we chuckle at that, right? And, and in some ways, it's, it's humorous. But that's the reality of it. We, we are not to just to hear the word of God and say, oh, that was, that was a nice message, preacher. It should change our life. We shouldn't read the scriptures at home and say, oh, that was a very interesting passage. It should change our life. That's what it's designed to be. It should be applied to us so that we actually live out something and it changes us. It's the word of God and it should change us. In our culture, we like to evaluate experience and say things that experience changed my life forever. We certainly uh, experience things that can change our life. But more than in the experience changing our life, the Word of God, when applied properly by the grace of God, will radically change our life. On what are you relying for your source of authority? If not the Scriptures, then what objective reality do you have as your source of authority? You know, this, this comes to play in a lot of different areas. Uh, and there are people in the church today who will... Uh, say that God has told them to do something or that God has given them some kind of experience. And so they're they're acting upon that experience. Uh, it comes real practically to the standpoint of there are, you know, there are there are Christian brothers and sisters who uh, may have a, a woman that says, you know, I'm called to be a preacher. I'm called to be a pastor. I feel like the Lord has led me into that. And, and it's part of my experience and my upbringing. Well, how do we argue with that? Well, we have to look at the scriptures. What's our source of authority? Is it someone's experience? Or is it what do the scriptures say? And we have to be able to evaluate that. Here, I'll give you another example. This was a letter that was written to a Bible answer program on the internet. It says, I never knew that God had came out of the fire before. When I was a teenager, I went to a large bonfire with a few girls. God came out of that large fire. His face was about six feet wide. His head was about ten feet high. With long, thick, wavy hair. 
He spoke to me for a few minutes. That was 31 years ago. His eyes blinked, his mouth moved, and he even had two eyelashes on each eye. His voice was so soft yet commanding. I thought he was talking to someone else until I looked around at the other eight people that were not looking at him but chatting among themselves. I then realized it was me that he was talking to and that no one else could hear or see him. How in the world do you tell people about that without thinking you are crazy? Now, since I read about Moses in the burning bush about six years ago, I have some questions. And she goes again and she says, am I another Moses? Am I to experience the same thing that Moses experienced? Because just as Moses saw Jesus or saw God in the burning bush and I saw God come out of this fire and the bonfire when I was a teenager. Does that mean that I'm supposed to be another prophet like Moses? What, what do we do with that? If someone came to you and said, you know, I had this dream last night. And God spoke to me in this dream and he said that, that I'm supposed to marry so-and-so. What do we do with that? Are we supposed to disvalue their experience? Or, or do we have another means of evaluating right from wrong and decisions and, and what we are to do? Well, indeed we do. Uh, Peter is very, very clear that our experience needs to be subservient to the scriptures. And if there is something that we experience that doesn't seem to be right according to the scriptures, well, then you know, it was bad pizza we ate or something. I mean, you know, we have experiences that sometimes just don't quite jive with what's going on. And we need to evaluate those things based upon the scriptures. Uh, some of you may be acting upon experience, even though the scriptures speak contrary to your experience. What do you do then? Well, we must evaluate everything, including our experience, by the word of God. And then finally, uh, I want us to notice the scripture originates divinely. The scripture originates divinely. This has to do with production of scripture. How in the world did we get the scripture that we have? How do we know that we can have confidence as it being the authority? How do we know that what we have was produced not by men, but by God. How was it produced? Well, one thing that we need to notice is that it was not uh, by man's origination. It was not by man's releasing. And I, I know that's a kind of a strange phrasing, but I wanted to get to the idea of what is written here. In verse 20, it says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, again, you'll see probably in your footnotes that there might be a a, a different translation than interpretation there. The word interpretation literally means origin. And uh, it carries the idea of something being released. So someone may, uh, the same word is used in other places where someone releases a donkey, un unleashes a donkey from being tied up. And so they're able to go out. And so the idea is not, not that, that man has something within himself that he releases and it becomes scripture. That's not what is being said. In fact, we'll see later on that it's um, that God does use what we do, but he overrides it all so that his word is communicated faithfully. The writers of the prophets of God did not release something within themselves as though the divine word was something in them that had to come out. False prophets come up with all kinds of ideas of their own to lead people astray and they release them to the world and they release them to others, uh, but not so the scriptures. There is a difference between releasing something from within and being directed from without. And we'll see that uh, the scriptures were written by being directed from without. The scriptures were directed from without, as we'll see shortly. There are, are people who say that man made up Christianity. 
It was written by about 40 men over 1,600 years, and yet the continuity and the progress of the message is inescapably singular. How can man make something up like that? 40 different writers, 1,600 years, and yet you can see it's one message. There's no way that could be made up by man. There was a teaching that became popular when evolution became accepted by the general public and applied to evolution to scripture, claiming that all religions started as some primitive form of animism or nature worship and then gradually evolved with man over time to polytheism and finally to monotheism. These same people then tried to divide up the scripture into these different evolutionary time periods, claiming that a later editor or later editors then compiled them together. And and so we ended up getting what we have today. Well, this is wrong on a number of accounts. It's wrong in that it assumes that more fully developed man was not prior in history. And yet we see from archaeological excavations as well as other things that man was fully developed. We know of cultures and nations that were uh, that were far more advanced than even some natures and nations and cultures today. And so certainly man has not evolved in that sense. And secondly, it is also wrong because it would uh, be impossible to have the kind of continuity between the books of the Bible individually and as a whole if they were just brought together and edited based upon all these different kinds of evolutionary time schemes and that kind of thing. So the bottom line is that Scripture was not man's creation. It was the origin from God. Also notice that it's not by man's will. The idea here in verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. In other words, man didn't just kind of think this up, and because of his origination of it, because of his design upon it, it came to be. That's not the case. The Scriptures were produced because God wanted them and ensured that they would be. To say that would be saying that uh, I wanted to be born on January 15th in the early 1970s. I had no concept of when I was going to be born, neither did you. I had nothing to do with it. Now, my parents had something to do with it, but they couldn't determine on what date I was going to be born. And, and the same thing is true when it comes to the scriptures. Yes, Peter was writing this letter, but he had no concept that God was using him to create scripture. He wasn't going to wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'm going to write scripture. That's not what he did. Yet God overrode it all so that indeed what he did write was scripture. Did Solomon write other things other than the Proverbs, the Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon? I mean, he was a, he was a ruler for 40 years. Of course, he wrote all kinds of other things. In fact, he declares in Ecclesiastes 12, 12, And further, my son, be admonished by these, of making of many books there is no end, and in much study is wearisome to the flesh. In other words, he wrote all kinds of things. So why is it that our Bibles only contain the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon? Why not all the other letters? Because God was orchestrating it so that this would be what we have. He was dividing it up so that we would have what we need when we have it through these authors. Did Paul write other letters that are not in the Bible? Yes. In fact, he seems to refer to some of the other ones in some of these letters. So why are they not in the Bible? Because no scripture came about by the will of men, but by the will of God. And then finally, it's not by man's directing. It's not by man's directing. Again, notice with me in verse 21. For a prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word moved here is really a poor translation. 
it carries the idea sometimes when we talk about moved is that, you know, that, well, that, was, a, that was a very mo- moving video that I watched or a very, uh, you know, that movie just really moved me or, you know, something like that. And it carries this idea of some emotional response. That's, that's not what is being conducted here. In fact, the word uh, moved is really the word carried about or brought about. And it has the idea of something that is actively enforced upon someone so that the result is exactly what is done uh, as a ship moves about on the wind of the sea so too the prophets of god were moved to write what they did uh, just to kind of illustrate this the same word is used in matthew's gospel chapter 14 verse 11 and this is in the context of herodias wanting to bring the uh, head of john the baptist to her mother and it says this And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Again, now let me ask you this. Did John the Baptist have anything to do with his head being brought? No, he was dead. He couldn't couldn't say, well, I don't want my head to go there. Now, he said that before he died. But after he was dead, he he didn't have any control over where it was brought. And that's the idea. When, When the scriptures were written, God was so orchestrating it, so divinely involved in it, that these guys didn't have any choice other than to write what God wanted them to write. They were being brought about. They were being bored about. They were being carried about by the Spirit of God. Uh, also, we see in, in Mark chapter 2, verse 3, similarly, um, and this is dealing with the, the friends that brought the paralytic and uh, put him through the roof. Do you remember that story? Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. Now, did that that paralytic have anything to do with his being brought there? Now, he may have said beforehand, hey, take me to Jesus. But he was a paralytic. He was lying on a mat. He couldn't get there himself, right? He was carried there. He was born there. Could man just create scripture? No way. They had to be born about by the Holy Spirit. And so we know that it is not by man's directing, it is by God's directing. Now, how do we deal with this issue of having man actually pen the scriptures and yet God writing them in such a way that they are inerrant? Well, there's a couple things that we need to address. First of all, the words of the Bible are the product of free human activity. Therefore, human activities, such as depending the book, can be totally controlled by God without violating human freedom. In other words, when we look at the scriptures, we see that Peter's letters are written differently than Paul's letters. There is a personality that is there. The vocabulary is different. You can look at John's writings and you can see his writing is, is very consistent within that, those letters. But then you look at Paul's letters and they are very intellectual and very rational and logical not like Paul's and Peter's. Peter's just like Peter in the scriptures. You know, he's kind of here and there and all over and very boastful and very, you know, you know, brash. So how can the scriptures contain personality and yet God oversee it such that it is without error? Isn't that a good question? Well, we can believe that in the same way that we can believe that God implanted within Mary the seed of Christ who was fully divine, born of the virgin, came forth fully God, fully man. Did you ever think about this, that Jesus probably looked somewhat like Mary? Why? Because he had her genes. He was fully human being, and yet he was also fully God, and so he was fully perfect. So here we have an illustration in the incarnation of how the two can be one. Where he can be fully human, taking on the characteristics of human, I mean, he, 
You know, he pooped and peed, did all the stuff that humans do. I mean, it wasn't like he was some miracle baby that never did those kind of things. I mean, he was human, right? And yet he was also fully divine, perfect in every way. And so what do we find in the scriptures? We found the same thing. We find humanity in the scriptures. We find them being pinned with personality and character and creativity and all these kinds of things. And yet we see them overrid, overridden such that God is the author ultimately and that they can be perfectly inspired. I like the way John MacArthur says it as a good definition of inspiration. He says, God superintending human authors so that using their own individual personalities, experiences, thought processes, and vocabulary, they composed and recorded without error his revelation in the original copies of the scriptures. This is what God did in producing the scriptures. He bore man so that the prophets wrote exactly what he wanted to write. Now we can be assured that we have the word of God. It is not made up by man. It is not some mythology. You can trust it. You can live by it. You can die by it if God so chooses. The scriptures are so important that they need regularly to be reminded and recalled to our memory. The scriptures are so authoritative that they trump even our experiences. And the scriptures are so produced that they are inerrant word of God. Don't be deceived if someone comes to you and says... Do you really believe that stuff? Don't you know it's written by man? Yes, we can believe it. It's written by man, but it's also written by God. And so we have the perfect revelation of God. Know and believe the truth of Scripture. Let's pray. What happened in the dash between your birth and death? What will you do to change your legacy? One day we'll wither away And to this world we'll have to say goodbye But just like the plant that withers away We will leave many seeds behind If today you lost your life What would you leave behind? What would the ones around you see? What happened in the dash between your birth and death? What will you do to change your legacy? If today you lost your life, what would you leave behind? What would the ones around you see? What happened in the dash between your birth and death? What will you do to change your legacy? What will you do to change your legacy?